to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morena. This is quite cosy, isn't it? I can see that all the, um, the right wingers and the left wingers are at the beach. We just got all the, got all the centrist voters uh, in the centre. Good to be here. In the highest hills and the deepest depths, I searched to find a lasting rest. Yet no distraction could assuage the deathly grip of fear's dark cage. Until this call ended my quest, come unto me, I'll give you rest. When my mind is filled with stress and care, and in my darkness I despair, when all seems lost and hope grows cold, let your deep stillness flood my soul. O you alone I cast my care, for in my sorrow you are there. When I'm lying on my bed at night with past regrets flooding my mind, my thoughts you point to Calvary, where all my sin was nailed to thee. The weight is lifted from my chest, for in Christ's grace I find sweet rest. Peace Christ gives to me, for he lives in me. He gently wipes away each tear, as perfect peace melts every fear. The world's distraction can't compare to the peace God gives those in despair. Nathaniel Henry wrote that poem. And yes, I did just start with a poem. Who here needs God's peace for a situation you are in? Who here needs God's peace? Yeah. This morning we're closing in on a series based on four names for Jesus. It's based on a scripture in Isaiah 9, uh, and we started it four weeks ago when we are all feeling a bit Christmassy, uh, whereas now I'm feeling about as Christmassy as a brown abandoned Christmas tree at a dump. Um, we've all moved on. It was five days ago. No, just kidding. But it, uh, I hear you saying you look like a brown dead tree at a dump, but um, yeah, that's, yeah, you're just being kind. This scripture that we launched into four weeks ago is a scripture that your nana would have as a wall piece with tinsel around it, okay? Um, Or it might be that your auntie would have it on a coffee cup, okay? And this scripture was actually a prophecy. This Isaiah scripture was 700 years before Jesus was born, telling of a Messiah that was to come. And it brings out four names that we have been looking at. And someone wrote a hymn a few years ago. And it goes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace is he. Ah. I've got a few of you singing. That's good. Don't you love with hymns that they just keep on adding in syllables when it doesn't quite work out? Like, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace is He. In fact, uh, a lot of these songs take so long to describe something with so many syllables, you'd think they'd be called hers, not hymns. Um, shots fired, shots fired. So we've landed here today, I'm hoping it's not a crash landing, we've landed here today on the Prince of Peace, 
the last part of the little jazzy hymn song. It's great poetic language, isn't it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Today we are covering the prince of peace. This Isaiah prophecy, which was 700 years before Jesus, as I said, gives us different dimensions to the the person of Jesus. Can you think of a time in the last 2,700 years since Isaiah that humanity hasn't needed counsel, strength, fathering, and peace? It's pretty amazing words, isn't it, that transcends all time and everything that's going on. Think of the broken people in the war zones around the world at this very moment. Throughout history, Jesus brings counsel, support. He brings strength. He brings eternal, paternal stability. And he brings peace. So it's the 31st of December, the beginning of a new year tomorrow. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What does that mean in our lives and in our whanau and in our community? I think the world is crying out for peace, and I'm sure you agree. The Bible tells us that there will continue to be wars and rumors of wars in Matthew 24. And what's kind of amazing is that Scripture never shies away or sugarcoats life's challenges and the things going on. You know, there's layers to peace, isn't there? Firstly, there's peace that can happen over a period of time. Things change into a mode of peace between nations or tribes or gangs. My mate Daniel, he lives in Germany, in uh, Heidelberg, uh, and he drives to France across the border to go to a concert or to go to a rugby game or even just a night out with the mates at a restaurant he'll drive to France for. 80 years ago, that southern part of the border was a war zone. So peace can come to places. Amy and I, when we were in Berlin, we hired um, bikes. um, And we weaved our way through the paths where the old Berlin Wall used to be that was armed with machine guns and guards dividing a nation in half. And what was once a a place of divide and, um, and not a place of peace is now an art piece where you ride through and all these uh, quotes and paintings to do with coming together and peace is is on all these parts of the wall that's been left. Um, After hundreds of years of fighting by my Scottish ancestors, um, Amy and I hired a a van, a little wicked camper. You've seen the ones that travel around uh, New Zealand and our ones had a big marijuana plant on it, which was sort of not quite who we were wanting to represent. But um, we, we travelled in this van, and after hundreds of years of the Scottish fighting the English, we just raced across the border at 100 kilometres an hour with a big blue sign saying, Welcome to Scotland. So, so what was for hundreds of years a, a great divide and fight and angst and war became a, a, a motorway flying through at 100 k's between two countries. And what I did laugh at is that the Scottish had mown up to their sign but no more. Just like, you know, how out on the grass verge of your house in in town here, you'll mow outside the grass verge by your drive between the the footpath and the curb, but you've got to line up with your boundary because you don't dare mow your neighbours, eh? Yeah. 
And what I, what I just thought was awesome is like, yeah, you, you, uh, you fought us for 400 years, so you can mow your own lawns, okay? So um, it was the grass verge. I'm sure the tractor was traveling through, but no, turn around at the sign and go back through to Scotland. Anyway, there can be peace that comes to things that have been divided. That's the, that's the first big one. And then there's peace times. There's times of peace. All of you boomers in this room were mostly born in peace times. The 1950s and 60s for most Western nations were two decades of relative peace, freedom, and democracy had won. It was let's make babies and not make war. For millennials and Gen Z, we have mostly grown up in a constant state of peace in this country. This is both a blessing and a curse, a blessing in that we can live lives free from many of the external hardships older generations have faced, but a curse in that we don't always appreciate the blessing of the peace that we have. And we can live either fairly ordinary lives or young people can jump onto causes without realizing how blessed we are with the peace we have earned. Or for so many young people, there's no thought of a surrendered life to God and people live like there's no need for a saviour because we've had relative peace and can kind of do things in our own strength. So that's the second type of peace is that there's, there's peace that can be a, a, a time of peace. Then there's peace between individuals. I've often found myself with our youth work that we do or in our business to be in really challenging conversations where this person's grumpy with this person, that person's wanting to hit this person. There's been, I could tell you some amazing, crazy stories about youth and what we've had to deal with, with bringing about peace between people and bringing God into a situation. So there's peace between people, interpersonal peace, where we can move past something and live at peace with people despite having our differences. And lastly, there's personal peace. You know, when it comes to people, there's all sorts in this life. There are those who have, you know, huge responsibilities and seem to have a peace despite all of the challenges. And there are others who maybe don't have as much on their plate, but they're in a constant state of turmoil. And there's all sorts going on for them. And then there's every variation in between of people's personal peace that they have in their life. And it can be very hard to judge who is struggling Who's got all this inner turmoil going on and who's pretending to be okay? I love that we serve a God of peace. And when we align our lives with his ways, we can have peace in all of the above situations. Peace between big people groups. We can be in a state of peace when we invite him into our lives. We can have interpersonal peace in our relationships when or from our end, we can have peace in personal relationships, and we can have personal peace and settledness in our heart, mind, and spirit. And God can bring that about. John 14, 27 says, this is Jesus speaking, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not be afraid. Psalm 4.8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. John 16.33 
I have told you these things so that in me, this is Jesus speaking, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where does the peace come from? That in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world you'll have troubles, no doubt about it, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, from the outside, my life and our business, um, maybe, maybe to some looks established and that the, you know, the sails are up and the, the wind is putting us in motion. And yes, the art of leading an organization is to be like a swan gliding on the water with your little web feet going really hard underneath. That's sort of the art of leadership a bit too, is cool and calm, but underneath you've got to do a lot of work to make it all happen. You know, they talk about leadership or leading things being like an iceberg, what you see on top, but then there's all this weight and things you've got to do that's the big weight underneath the iceberg. So perhaps for some it looks like that with my little web feet working overtime underneath. But the best way to describe my last few years is, is rather than a sailboat on a breezy open harbour, it's more like I've got a little inflatable with two oars um, and I'm trying to get out past the waves at Piha. Um, and, and just when I get up onto the flat, the next set of 12 waves come and bash me. And, and life is a challenge. We had big challenges last week with our business. And then this weekend, another massive big challenge. Last week's big challenges was with the cows, with the animals. And this week's huge big challenges with the people. And so um, there's just always another wave that's going to bash me. And so in that, we've got to find God's peace. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat that there's, it's uh, an open harbor when the sails are going to be up, okay? The Bible speaks of, of the bashing piha waves, that life will be, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. One of the biggest ways I've experienced the realness of God is in leading young people in prayer. Often it's at Easter camp or after a service or in a youth night or something, generally in a camp setting where worship's happened, a speaker's happened, and there's like this openness for something to change in a turmoil in their lives, right? And what sometimes happened is we're standing there and we're praying, and I've got my eyes closed, and we're praying about something, about uh, usually something terrible that's happened to them when they're younger. And we pray for a sense of peace, and that we'd have a constant mindset of peace and that they would wake with peace and forgiveness in their hearts and mind. And what happens is you open your eyes and it isn't just this moment or feeling. The person looks different. There is like a weight has come off their shoulders and God has come into their eyes and there's like a, a difference in their countenance. And I go, man, that must be God because you look so different to the sobbing and the, and the pain that I saw even 10 minutes ago before we started praying. So God's peace can come and fill a situation and change the atmosphere of the room and change a person's life. Living in a state of internal peace is what God had in mind from the beginning. Despite all the challenges, that's through all Scripture, all the challenges are never get sugar-coated. Despite all the challenges, God's heart is that we would have a peace in Him. You know, it's sin and the complexities of humanity 
that has caused so much angst, anxiety, and instability in our lives. You know, I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, with young people, you can pull all the levers in terms of social support, you know, school counsellors, free mental health support, youth mentors, a government-funded program. But the biggest thing that can change an angry young person's life is an encounter with the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, because we need fathers, and the Prince of Peace. That is the thing that can change a young person's life. The encounter can lead to a place of repentance and forgiveness, and that is what truly changes the core of a person as opposed to outward resourcing of a young person or behavior modification. Running a program and modifying their behavior is nothing compared to an encounter with Jesus. I've got a little saying in our youth work, and is that young people can belong before they believe, and they can believe before they behave. We don't need to start with trying to tell them how to behave. We start with belonging. That leads to belief, and belief is what changes the behavior. God's peace is a part of that. God can drastically change lives and bring about peace, which is amazing. Do you agree with me? But rather than just leave it there, I feel we just need to go a little bit deeper in our comprehension of this title, Prince of Peace. Why? Why the Prince? Why the Prince of Peace? Why not the Lord of Peace? What is with the Prince part of that name found in this pivotal verse in Isaiah 9? So let's just add a little bit of meat to this here today. This sermon sponsored by AFCO. Let's add a bit of meat um, to this here. This ain't just a summer salad, okay? A little Happy New Year summer salad. This is a bit of meat. We all need a bit of meat. And I was thinking over the week about this Prince of Peace title. Is it just poetic language? Is it because the writer and the readers were born into a world of empires and kingdoms and kings and princes? I believe that God hides treasure in Scripture and is intentional in the phrases and terminologies that is used throughout Scripture. Is there a layer of meaning to the title Prince in Prince of Peace? You know, a modern understanding of Prince is someone who is kind of waiting for a royal position. The son of a king or the son of a queen who, you know, helps out the royal family, does the family engagement or marries an American actress and flees it all. Um, no, just kidding. But, but, but essentially... Essentially, the, the mindset we have of Prince now is, is waiting, waiting for that person to go or Nana to go or Mum to go to fulfill that role that then comes. That's the sort of modern understanding. 70 years waiting, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't wait that long for anything. I couldn't. But in Jesus' time, in, an, in Egypt, in an Israel setting, a prince was best described in our language as a ruler. Think of Joseph administering, leading, and positioning Egypt. He was the prince of Egypt, the ruler. So when we talk about Jesus being the prince of peace, that means he administers, leads, and brings about peace. He's the action man in bringing about peace. It's not like this stationary title of poetic language of, oh, he's the prince of peace. How wonderful. That's a nice, lovely name, isn't it? It's actually... 
a doing thing in that he is the leader. He is the ruler of peace. He rules peace. It's not just a term of phrase or a little bit of branding of Jesus. He is the leader and he is the governance of peace. So I have two thoughts on the Prince of Peace phrase. It's actually quite a mouthful, Prince of Peace phrase. <laughs> a heavy thought first and then an inspiring thought to finish. You know, in various parts of Scripture, the he- this is the heavy one, um, Satan gets given different names and titles. There is a few titles for Satan that speak of his influence and what he is all about. And there is this title for Satan in, the, in, in that it is, He is the prince of the power of the air. Okay, so Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you made, uh, and he made, and you made, uh, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespass and sin, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, talking about Satan. You once walked in that. But the spirit who now work, walk, uh, the spirit, sorry, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Still talking about our walk in underneath Satan's ways, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, but were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What is beautifully articulated in the scripture is that the Ephesians were once walking in the influence of the prince of darkness or the prince of the power of the air. They were once walking in the ways of Satan, okay? But on a total counter to that, we're alive in Christ because he is the prince of peace. He rules peace over darkness, okay? So you've got the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of the air that the Ephesians were once living under, and now the prince of peace who's way, way more powerful has the power of peace over top by his grace through Jesus, okay? So there's this massive contrast between the prince of the air, the prince of darkness, and the prince of peace. It isn't just a little title for Jesus. It is the showing the stark contract, contrast between the darkness and the light. He made us alive with Christ, and it speaks to the fact that we come at the end there and sit in the royalty of the heavenly places. That's where that scripture finishes. You know, there's five verses in the Bible that talk about Satan being like a ruler or a prince of this world, okay? I won't bore you with them. I can show you them here on my um, iPad. But there's five verses that talk about Satan being the ruler or the prince of this world. Doesn't this help make sense of the darkness that we are seeing in the world around us? The first nine minutes of the 6 p.m. news bulletin speaks of the things happening that are not of God and, in fact, are of Satan and provide a complete contrast to that what Jesus has described. And it is a complete opposite ruler, 
Prince of Peace that can bring about change. Jesus is the only alternative to the ruler of the power of the air or the Prince of Darkness. When it comes to peace, it's not humanistic solutions or getting a better understanding of a war or humanitarian aid or getting the UN involved or any political movement. There is way bigger spiritual things going on and it's the fact that Jesus is the ruler of peace if we could only seek him out as humanity if we would only put him in his rightful place. So that brings me to my final thought. You know, we are conditioned in our individualistic Western setting. Most of us haven't grown up in empires with kings and kingdoms and princes. We have um, our Māori king, we have uh, a commonwealth king, but it's sort of a little bit removed from what most of our weeks look like. Maybe you're different than me. That, that's me speaking of my, my life. And when we hear this phrase, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we're not just talking about a nice meaning that we can have his peace. There is a whole kingdom comprehension that we can take up. When we realize that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that we are a part of something way bigger than ourselves, that is when we can be a part of something and realize that there's this whole thing called the kingdom of heaven. He's the Prince of Peace and there's the kingdom of heaven. It isn't just about our individual lives. We are part of a massive movement. 1.5 billion Christians in the world, we're part of a movement that's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You know, so many thought Jesus was going to bring this forceful earthly movement and dominant political leadership when he came. Orthodox Jews are still waiting for a Messiah with this thought of him being this powerful mindset that's going to overthrow things. But Jesus came as part of an upside-down spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that's a bit different. He is the ruler, the prince of peace in a spiritual kingdom that transcends time and people. He hasn't come to set up a building or a castle or a cathedral or a palace. He has come for our hearts. He has come for spiritual awakening. He has come with his spirit to sit in a place where we can see a spiritual kingdom that he can build up in our lives. He's seeking the condition of our heart, not about building an empire. He wants to rule the peace in our hearts, the peace in our lives than any big movement or building or political thing. He is about our hearts. And it's a thing of heaven. It's a thing of forever. He is powerful and full of leadership, but not as we normally think of it. He's the ruler of peace. He's the ruler of peace between people, peace between relationships, and he wants to lead our lives to a place of peace rather than fear and darkness. We come before you this morning and we thank you for these words, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We thank you that uh, through these weeks we've learned more of, of your truth and of your ways. And God, we, um, we want to live lives that bring praise to you um, now and in glory. Pray that we'd have uh, you on our hearts and our minds this week, 
that we'd bring peace to situations and would invite your perfect peace to rule in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.